4: Tonight, we got him. Goldie and assault. the salt.
5: This is a typical, typical disgusting, disgusting,
3: disgusting,
2: disgusting, 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 disgusting. And
3: it starts right now. Oh, <laughs> welcome back, everyone, to another episode of a typical disgusting display, a podcast for writers, by writers, who hate writing. I'm joined, as always, by Goldie, Julius Sharp. And our lovely producer, JC.
2: Hello.
5: I just want to point out, I walked outside this morning at 7.20 a.m. and the moon was out. So there are no rules.
3: (laughs) The moon can
5: just be out whenever now, I guess.
3: (laughs) Well, by the way, save that for your top five category, because that's like kind of tied into a lot of the stuff that I wanted to talk about. It just made me so
5: angry. It's like... (laughs) The moon it comes out at night. The sun comes out during the day. So can well, we you know, just keep that?
3: If you look up at many points during the day, oh, the old moon is there, Goldie. It doesn't doesn't go anywhere. It's, it's, oh, it's there.
5: A romantic daytime moon.
3: <laughs> Morning moon. Um, that sounds like a Waylon Jennings song. Uh, right before we started, I just had to talk about this because we, we started talking a little bit about Phil Hartman for some reason. We were David Goodman is our guest. He's here Yay. today. And we, we we were on early and we were talking a little bit about it. And the uh, unfrozen caveman lawyer sketch <laughs> sort of popped up. And I just wanted to... This is a, a macabre, funny story uh, about that. Obviously, we know that Phil Hartman met a very tragic end when his unhinged wife shot him and then shot herself. Oh so there was a big funeral, obviously, because everybody loved Phil Hartman. All the SNL people from, you know, all eras were there. And I think, I can't remember if it was Mike Myers or David Spade who told the story that they were there at the funeral. It was just after this terrible tragedy had happened and people were still kind of talking about like, hey, what what happened? What 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 went on? And somebody was somberly telling uh, Mike Myers and David Spade like, well, yeah, I guess it's, His wife, uh, Bryn, you know, shot him with a shotgun and uh, then shot herself. And John Lovitz leans in and says, oh, you're making it sound worse than it was. (laughs) Which I always thought was such a hilarious thing to say. (laughs) Like one day after the guy died. That was anyway, that was on my mind. But Goldie, you and I were talking about something yesterday that I wanted to talk about on the podcast and, and, and ask you for help because uh, okay. you're, you're a smart guy. You went to uh, the Columbia School of Broadcasting or something Find like that. Find
5: the person I've ever helped. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, luck. you've helped me immensely. But yeah, so we, uh, as we talk about a lot on the show, I, we have a bunch of dogs here, and, and mostly three-quarters of them are dying. Um, but they've been dying for like two or three years, so it's like let's let's kind of get going already. <laughs> so the other night, the other day, on the spring equinox, Tal, my wife, who's very spiritual, as you know, held this very bizarre sort of spring equinox ceremony where... Items were gathered in little cups and then burned in a in a fire outside, and it was all I was just kind of like watching the NCA tournament inside, just like I'm not I'm not part of this.
0: Extremely
3: a tableau. (laughs) I know.
5: It was outside gathering. Like I have eucalyptus. (laughs) Yes. I have lemon rinds. I have sacred (laughs) saffron, and then I was like, Tennessee
2: State. <laughs> I know. A three pointer. Uh, it, this could
3: be big. That's our home in a nutshell. So, then I, at the one moment when I did poke my head out there to sort of inquire about dinner, shall we say, I saw one of our dogs was out there with them in the middle of the that's ceremony. It. It like, was I'm towards hungry. the end. I mean, and, and, enough, with <laughs> enough with the ceremony. Enough with the ceremony. Okay, a the gods. Hanging up the go- with vi- Countdown vi- to
5: the end of the ceremony?
3: Vishnu had been appeased or whoever the fuck. You like, don't uh, know it, it, that. You can't know that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I look out there and one of our dogs is out there with them. And I can see the dog is like eating something, you know, and usually I think like, okay, oh no. it's someone else's shit or something and it's gross but okay. And that's but I pointed out. I said, hey uh, "Hey, uh Luna is eating something down there." And she's like, "Oh yeah, she's just it's an acorn. It's fine." So we come back in and uh when the dogs get their dinner, Luna is not eating.
1: And no. so Tall
3: is instantly googling like dogs eating acorns and she's like, "Oh fuck. Oh shit, you know, like it yeah. can damage their liver and it's poisonous and they shouldn't." Oh, no. And so Good thing there's uh, only
5: seven billion acorns <laughs> by your house.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and so then <laughs> then there's a moment. Oh, wait, hold on one sec. The dogs are running in right now. Okay. Sorry okay. about that. Hey, no
2: problem.
3: That was literally because Tall just walked down the stairs and I didn't want to tell the story in front of her. That's the courageous guy that I am. Okay. You could leave that part in if you want. Okay. So anyway, don't leave the entire pause, even okay, though yeah, that's yeah, very yeah. telling. Right. Uh, so she slowly put on her hat. I was like, are you leaving? Um, so... The the dog eats the acorn tall, looks up, oh, fuck, acorns, poisonous, kidneys, whatever. And then there's like a little pause and she's like, can you take her to the vet? And I was like, Ugh. I was so annoyed because the backstory on this dog, Luna, is like, we went to rescue, I hate that word, but these two pugs. Yeah. And Tall came home with three dogs, Luna being the third. So I've never really approved <laughs> oh, no. of this dog. Poor it's like, Luna. this isn't the dog that I signed. <laughs> I've signed up for two fucking dogs, <laughs> not the third one. And, and Luna is very young, so this is a decade problem here. Okay. So anyway, Luna's not feeling great. And I get asked to take her across the bridge to the vet. And I'm like rolling my eyes, and I'm, I'm I agree to it, but I'm doing those subtle little things that Goldie, you and I perhaps do to show that we're not too happy about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little
5: so a little hasty it, grab of the keys off the wall to make sure they make yeah. some noise. A, yes, I don't have the guts God. to slam the door, but I will <laughs> well, shut the... it in a way that lets you know I could have <laughs> slammed it. Had I not showed such restraint.
3: <laughs> Goldie, you are, you are literally stealing the thoughts out of I'm my so head out. because this is, this is where the, no, but that's great. I'm this is where this is going to put on really hard so you'll hear it <laughs> rustling this is <laughs> really I'm, loud. This is, this is where I'm going with this. So okay. as I'm leaving, I'm I at you the one door. More? Did
5: you pull out a little bit recklessly?
3: <laughs> but not so recklessly as right. to hurt
5: yourself or anyone else. Anyway,
3: no, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Jew at heart, so I can't okay. do anything reckless in the car. But uh, other than driving uh, drunk and stoned. But oh so gosh. I uh, I am le- as I'm leaving and the door, as you brought up with the slam, I'm not a door slammer, but I will up it fifteen percent the intensity <laughs> of the door closing just enough to let them know. You know, there's a it's a little extra thing, but in the moment that I'm literally I have my hand on the door and I'm prepared to do this my my Jewish act of defiance fifteen percent harder on the door close. <laughs> yep, I, it's in my hand and I'm closing it, and as it's halfway closed, I in my mind I say no, don't do that. This yeah. is all my this is my reaction to this situation. Like I'm in control of all of this right now. I'm not going to slam this door. I'm just going to close this door and go do this thing, which I did. And that, as we had a conversation a few weeks ago, led to my drive. Oh, when yeah. I'm driving, I'm having oh. all these thoughts, like the anger that I feel every day about stupid things. It's all within my control. I have. I, everything is just my reaction to it. Yeah. So if I can say in the moment, don't get angry. It's not worth it. You're making it an angry moment. That's real power in in your, you know, taking power in your own life is like to be able to yeah. do something like that. And I felt like you're like a quality control person on a product line. You know, you're watching the products go by and every once in a while you're throwing out a bad one as it goes by as opposed to letting that bad product go And go out into your, you know, into the world. And of course, sometimes jokingly, it turns into the Lucy thing where there are just too many of them coming (laughs) down the line and you you can't really stop them all. But Goldie, I wanted to get your take on this because you're an angry guy. Mm. And, and, And I feel like, honestly, we've been friends for a really long time. But I think one of the things that we bond over, besides like sports and stuff like that, is anger. We yes. both kind of get angry. Our Venn diagram of anger is is almost an eclipse. <laughs> so, you know, like I felt like there's real power in understanding that it's just our reactions to things that's making us feel negative in those moments. And we have the complete power to stop that. And why don't we? Are we addicted? To anger.
5: My my quick take is you're going to give yourself a stroke with that mumbo-jumbo.
2: <laughs> <laughs> mumbo-jumbo. You're, you're, you're
5: playing with the dark arts of anger denial, and it's going to end in an aneurysm. <laughs> I think it's the exact wrong take. <laughs> I Wait, think now, you can should... you... Yeah, I will. Can you
3: I'll please elaborate. say can you please say can you please say dark arts like I want you to? <laughs>
5: dark arts. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so a- anger is I would say the the fundamental issue of my life and I bet our guest as well. I would I have a hazard <laughs> He just to my Oh, he closed yeah, his camera out. I don't know what that means. But so here he, I, I was really trying to give a thoughtful response to this I've, I've really thought about this so I the, I may go on in in a sense and if I'm if I'm just sort of blabbering in a way that is is too much someone real
3: blabber again. please blabber no, we love the blabber. so the
5: first thing is that w- w- we as organisms have survived till 2022 you and I now look at us we're not very strong okay no so like the no. way our ancestors survived was not, you know, going out and killing the musk ox with their hands. It it was all based on wile and guile and smarts and trickery and shrewdness, (laughs) right? Like it was like, okay, okay, well, I'll let this guy kill the musk ox and then I'll scurry out and steal a little piece and then go back. But to (laughs) live that way and to not die from all these stronger forces outside you requires an immense amount of paranoia. So like yes, at every second, we have to be attuned to the millions of external threats to people like us. And so it's conditioned in us to respond to literally everything and to go into fight or flight almost all day based on anything and everything that's happening to us.
3: But is that needless now? Do we yes, live it in is a world that now. And in fact, yes,
5: it's, okay. this is the second part of my theory. Good. But OK. Starting at about 600 years ago, so millions of years of that in a in a in a sample size so recent it it almost isn't on the graph everything right. flips to cognition where the way to survive now is just you th- these external threats have mostly been eliminated you live in a house you have a food supply you have a water supply mm-hmm. like every time you go to the bathroom you're not worried about like an animal leaping out and disemboweling right. you because you're in a in a bathroom <laughs> so so now right. the previous however many million years is useless and, in fact, destructive. But you and I have, are still in the skid of the brakes being slammed right. and, and Tokyo drifting with our anger in, into a part that's not on the road. Yes. So that's where we are. So I, I subscribe now I, throughout my life from the time I've been about 15. I have been in some kind of physical pain. And this is something I've talked to you about, (laughs) I think. And this is, I I was looking for an opportunity to talk about this on the podcast and it it feels like this is it. So when I was about 15 or 16, I was sitting in class one day in high school and it was like a sex ed class and they were, I don't know if they still do this, but they used to try to scare you straight out of danger. So it was like driver's yeah. ed class you would go and they would go like here's some footage of the worst accidents and it was like a corpse yeah. in the middle of a windshield and right. like bloody splattered teens in the middle of the road cuz they didn't obey a yield sign. <laughs> right.
2: You know, yeah. and then sex
5: ed class was like Here's a photo of a dick with genital warts, just so you know what you're messing with, even though you haven't touched anyone yet. Here's the worst case scenario, and this could happen to you. So, like, I'm sitting in this class. I I think I'm, like, 15 or 16. And they just show this slide, and I feel a little bit sick. And I go, I don't feel great. And I say, I need to put my head in my hands. The next thing I know... I'm convulsing on the floor. I'm flopping up and down Whoa. like a fish. I'm trapped. Took a turn. <laughs> behind my eyes. So like wow. I I Jesus. I I'm seeing and feeling everything but I cannot control my body at all.
3: God. And this G. goes C., on where's first joke of the day. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, no, go ahead. This
5: goes on <laughs> for a minute, maybe a minute and a half. And then it just stops. <laughs> and there's Two kids standing over me who I hated and the teacher and everyone is like, what the fuck? And I get put in a wheelchair and I get sent to the nurse and then I get, you know, I get transported to a a medical facility. I have a brain scan, all this stuff. So what I've come to realize in therapy uh, 30 plus years later was that. That was a nervous breakdown. Like that was... Wow, really? The tension of just... So much is expected, uh, at at least of me at that time, was, uh, you know, your grades. And, you know, like I had this dad who was a war veteran. You've got to live up to that. And, and, you know, it's like you have a piano recital. You're going to fuck it up. And like you're going to try out for the basketball team. And like everyone hates you. Like everyone else has a girlfriend. No one likes you. That I think it just...
2: Love All French went night. in
5: that one moment, and I could never say, like, hey guys, I'm really miserable, I'm upset here, I need help. I'm even though I'm getting straight A's, I'm miserable because then you know, I know my parents would be like, we've given you everything, whatever. So instead, the tent, the amount of tension just got to the wow. point where like I snapped and I'm on the floor because the brain scan doesn't find anything. And then throughout yeah. my life, when I'm 17, I have this crippling back pain, like I can't move, I have mm-hmm. my leg anymore, and everyone's like, it's sciatica, it's, it's these medical causes, and no one looks to the mind and goes, Sarno. you've put this person in an untenable situation where they're generating fear. And because they're so scared and they can't articulate it, it turns into rage because they're angry at everyone because no one is fucking (laughs) helping them. And they have an incredible (laughs) amount of tension in their brain and everyone's going, he's such a high achiever. And I think you deal with a version of this. I think it's like he's the executive producer of Family Guy and like, oh, look at him. He has a nice house and, oh, he's, they're building a pool and everything. Yeah. But you're just going like,
3: my dad fucking left. Why isn't anyone doing anything <laughs> about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, but the thing and a big difference between you and me is that I discovered pot because I went to prep school. well you're this so, was the
5: second part is you've yeah. you self- medicated yourself like the amount you've had to deaden your brain just to exist <laughs> is remarkable.
3: <laughs> Uh, my brain is like the, the guys with the, the bandages playing the uh, fife and drum at the front of a revolutionary Every time parade. it comes
5: <laughs> almost into consciousness, you take a baseball bat and you whap it down four or five times yeah. with marijuana so it's unable yeah. to articulate what's going on inside it. And so, of yeah, course, and, and, you're filled with like some part of you, the deep core of you is going like, Where is this I need problem? to express... And it's, it's almost bottomless, I've discovered, because I, I, I had a third nervous breakdown I can talk about or not talk about. but <laughs> I, I think you and I just deal with wanting to be normal, wanting to appear normal, wanting to yeah. honor our parents to a certain extent by saying, like, you've done a good job, I'm great, and wanting to demonstrate for our kids and our spouses that, like. We're, yeah. we're stable people we're reliable our bosses in our industry like you can count on me I'm someone I'm funny I have a lot of good ideas I'm a jolly guy you can work with me you know why I have a great sense of humor things roll off me so you don't need to worry that I'm just gonna fucking explode on you at any second and have a nervous breakdown and be totally unaccountable and ruin all our ventures together we're gonna lose our home I'm gonna lose my job I'm gonna tell everyone to fuck off and then I'm gonna sh- Shit myself as my, as my cherry on my Sunday. I'm not going to control my bubble First joke of bottles, the day. Either. First joke of the day. So that there it is. is the anger and the tension is because at every second I'm trying not to do that.
0: Right.
3: Uh, well, let me just let me just insert in there because I love all that. That's great, and I'm yeah. sure you're probably right. You know about the thing about my my dad um, because my parents got divorced when I was five, and my dad moved to London. But let me insert now because my dad listens to this podcast all the time he loves it yeah and, and it, I is, love it your took dad, me a it, I, and no, I, of so, course not, that wasn't I, so, a shot at your dad that was no I, well <laughs> i'm sure he would disagree but <laughs> i will just put in i will just put in now that i love my dad very much and it did take me a while to get to a point where i am totally at ease with everything that happened because i understand now as an adult of course being married as you are goldie you really get a guy leaving his family oh, like, you get it i in was a about to ask your dad for his Lord.
5: blueprints
3: i know but and also <laughs> the situation my dad was in with my mom my mom who i love you know as yes. much as anyone in the world uh was a difficult one she was he was really under the thumb of my mom's family you know my mom 's family was the wealthier kind of fancier Jewish side of that uh matchup, and it was like he w- he was put in a job with m- with his father in law It was all a nightmare for him, yeah. and I can only imagine now how claustrophobic he must have uh felt yeah. at the time so i I agree with your analysis of that a hundred percent. Um, but I also feel like there, you said it was bottomless. I don't think it's bottomless. I think there is a bottom. And I think you can dark night rise out of that pit. And I, I think, you know, it's like what I, going back to the original point, in every moment you have complete power over your reaction to something. Well, and you may say there's an instinct that takes over, you know, immediately and says, get mad at this. But your brain is so strong, you can overpower that instinct and say, nope, not going to. Like, you can really do that. I, I and, agree. and granted, I only did it by not slamming a door the other day, but it really sparked this realization that there is hope for us. But then there's the dangerous follow-up question is, will I be as funny oh,
2: if I'm not angry? Wow.
3: If I'm not Larry David- Will I be as funny?
5: First of all, here's the good news. You're not that funny.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about that. That,
5: We can shove that to the side. God, what an asshole. Uh, No, I want to talk to you as your therapist for a second. So first of all, no doubt i i i totally buy and empathize with your dad's situation we're not talking about that right but what you've done here you were the one who walked out on you were the five-year-old child and you've defended Mm -hmm. an adult so if you've heard the phrase or the term inner child yes what what that is is your subconscious whether you're aware of it or not, and actually, because it's your subconscious, you're not aware of it, but it exists within you, is a meticulous record of every moment that has ever happened to you. You're it. And so when your dad leaves, there's a frozen snapshot of that happening. And to your subconscious, I remember it. it is as real yes. and as dangerous and as scary
0: it becomes and a core belief as
5: emotional. Sorry, what were we saying, Jason? It becomes
0: a core belief. It's what's called a core belief. Something that is hidden throughout your life, like an iceberg, you know, there's just a tip, but underneath, it will always be there, but you don't know it's there.
5: And JC, just as powerful. Did you say just the tip? <laughs> I did. And, and, okay, and it's, just checking. It's just as powerful as in the moment that happened. So yes. just because you have convinced yourself and rebuilt yourself as an adult, that like, and I can pick and choose when I'm angry, like... That's true on some level, but the turmoil still exists with the same strength in you and you're creating tension by kind of denying that it still exists. And so like one of the things I'm really big into this guy, Dr. Sarno, you can read a book called Healing Back Pain if you'd like for more on this. And if you want to email the podcast, I'm I'm always willing to walk anyone through this because it's made an immense difference in my life. Like it, it's it's pretty much cured me of this chronic back pain that was, like, bedeviling my existence.
3: Amazing. A typical disgusting display at gmail.com, by the way.
5: So one of the things that he talks about, and it's it's goofy, although it can work, is if you find a picture of yourself at that time and you talk to that picture, as the adult you've turned into and you say, listen, I know how scared you are, I know how you feel right now, but, like, everything turned out okay, that, like, you can kind of close the circle on this stuff.
3: Oh my God! Just even picturing myself doing that gave me the feeling in my chest like I'm about to burst out crying. Like right. I yeah. was r- literally brought <laughs> into the into the uh, Goodwill Hunting yes. uh, th- climactic. So I, mean, I mean, imagine
5: you're outside talking to the childhood picture of yourself, tall is inside, watching the NCAA tournament, <laughs> <laughs> and the dog eats an acorn, and then oh. she has to go to the
2: vet. Yeah.
3: Well. I, I gotta say, thank you, Goldie, for talking me through that. And J.C. I believe that's and, that's that's our session, right? So we'll, yeah, we'll pick this that, up. That next was week. very that yeah. was very good. And by the way, we're we're never gonna have time to talk about licorice pizza. Fuck licorice pizza. It stunk. Oh. That's my review. It stunk. Goldie, what did you scenes,
5: think? Uh, <laughs> I get why Bradley Stunning. Cooper was amusing, but it was like he was in Anchorman.
0: Right, I thought he yes. was the worst totally part. different characters, it's like five different
5: movies, a mess. I love Paul Thomas Anderson, but like not everything is a movie.
3: No, <laughs> exactly right. And a tiny, a tiny note about it: they used the song uh, "Life on Mars." They used yes. it in their preview, David Bowie's song "Life on Mars." They used it in the preview. They used it in the movie. You cannot get out, Sean. By another Anderson using Life on Mars, sure. which Wes did brilliantly oh, right. in Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Right. So he wasn't even the best Anderson to use Life on yes. Mars. And shout um, out
5: to that version by Sue Jorge, the Brazilian yes. musician. Who oh. there's an that album awesome. of of him playing these nice. acoustic Bowie hits, and it's oh, terrific.
3: It's fantastic. But did you see it pizza, in the theater? No. Skip. I haven't no. been in a movie okay.
5: theater. Yeah. Since, well, yeah. Uh, since AIDS.
0: Jordan, uh, Jordan Ramp, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs>
3: the last movie you saw oh in the theater was Gandhi. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, awesome. I
0: just want to quickly, Jordan Ramp had texted me and said he saw it in the theater and it was incredible in the theater. It made him wish he was 17 again and, you know. Why? I- I don't know. We can oh, ask
3: wait, him. Wait, what is he? He was 17 when, when like, <laughs> Usher's was... yeah was, you know, oh, no. hit. it oh, was no. like he was 17 in, like, 2006. <laughs> like, why does he care about the 70s? He was 17 um, anyway. eight
5: minutes ago. I know. Fine.
3: So give licorice pizza a miss.
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you.
3: <laughs> and now, uh, folks, let's roll into the portion of the show we like to call Johnny Jokes.
5: From Hollywood with special guest star David Goodman here. Johnny!
3: Oh. That's a great <laughs> intro there Goldie. Um yes, we uh, as we pointed out, we are being joined by uh, former Family Guy showrunner and writer David Goodman. Woo-hoo! Uh is with us today, and he's going to join us uh, for an interview after, and for Johnny Jokes, because he is brave. Now, uh, Mr. Goodman, <laughs> sir, would you like to go, would you like to be the opening act? Or I, how? Where would you like to go? I'm,
4: ho- I'm hoping I'm hoping to be the opening act, so that people maybe will forget what I've done. <laughs> there, there's that there's that confidence we came to love over the years. Let's go. Let so him we, in charge. <laughs> <Are> we feel <laughs> yeah, the same guy. way. Are, Why is that guy at the head of the table? I don't, I don't uh, I I love your I, right. I love your well I just would say I love your dad too Alec um you know, oh, thanks David <laughs> Th-
3: thank you thank you um <laughs> all right David first Johnny why don't you take it away
4: all right yeah you know that guy who got the uh transplant of a pig heart uh just passed away uh not sure how much he'll be missed he was a bit of a bore excellent very good <laughs> love that uh, you know, the other day in Brooklyn, a woman's dog was kidnapped by her Uber Eats driver. Uh, mm. Fortunately, they caught the guy, and Uber Eats returned the dog to its owner, though it took longer than expected. The dog was cold, and someone had taken a couple of bites out of it.
2: <laughs>
5: Very relatable. <laughs> <laughs> took us on a journey.
4: A little journey. A little journey. Uh, yeah. Russia. Russia's in the news. Russia... Yeah. Is having so many problems with its invasion of Ukraine, it has asked China to provide food for the Russian army. If the Chinese agree, that's that's really gonna dim some hopes for an end to the wanton violence.
2: Wow. <laughs> ah, that's great. What? Excellent.
4: Oh my God, that was really good. Uh, and then I've got two more I'm gonna I probably shouldn't do, I should just do one, but I'm gonna do two. Uh, <laughs> You probably uh, read about this. The world's biggest cruise ship, The Wonder of the Seas, has set sail. It's amazing. It has 19 swimming pools, 20 dining rooms, and 7,000 passengers you don't want to swim or dine with. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Those These are great. Thank you. All right, I'm one on more. And uh, then the last one, NBC just premiered The Courtship, a new reality dating show that recreates 19th century romance. At the end of every episode, the beautiful maiden gives one lucky suitor the syphilis she got from her uncle. <laughs> oh, <God.
5: laughs> Someone give this they man know. a writing
4: job. <laughs> Those were great. Uh, oh, and and Jesus the, Christ. Wait, in, the, in the finale, she dies in childbirth at 15. All
3: right. So, so. <laughs> All right
4: oh, my God.
3: I was, I was so hoping yours would stink, so mine would seem okay. It's not going to work. All right. Uh, wow. Johnny won. That's David great. Goodman, excellent work. All right. <laughs> Johnny number two. Here we go. Well, right-wing windbag Marjorie Taylor Greene is taking flack for not supporting a recent speech by Ukrainian President Zelensky. Uh, The congresswoman asked the press to back off and reminded them that her hair died for this country. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Moving on. All right. Some people do wordplay. They get big laughs. Others do. Okay. Here we go. A new scientific study has proven that just one alcoholic drink per week can cause dementia. Yeah. Uh, Also today, a new scientific study has proven that just one alcoholic drink per week can cause dementia. (laughs) There we go. Here's the story. Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. Uh, at NCAA Tournament Time news, Boston Celtic legend Larry Bird is being featured in the new Capital One ad campaign. Well, I guess sex sells. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, the owner of a male strip club in New York that burned down was relieved to discover his insurance will cover the damage. Like a nude gay bar, State Farm is there. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Third Oh, right. <laughs>
1: well,
5: You brought it. Let's That's keep good. that momentum going. Here we go. <clears throat> well, in spite of his recent legal woes, quarterback Deshaun Watson has signed a massive $280 million deal with the Cleveland Browns. And uh, it went right down to the last minute, but the Browns were finally able to get him to come by massaging the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, quarterback Colin Kaepernick wants to come back to football. I think he should. Picture it. You're up two touchdowns, five seconds left. Who better to come in the game and take a knee?
2: (laughs) Okay. Well,
5: a horse on Long Island, a horse on Long Island, has been rescued after being trapped in the deep end of a pool. Kids, this is why you don't buy your horse a bikini. (laughs) All right. All right, this last one's (laughs) a Norm. Norm McDonald. There we go. Uh Last one. A model on OnlyFans continued to post nude photos during and after her brain surgery. (laughs) Can't people just jerk off to the old stuff? (laughs)
3: Oh boy, that's fun! It's killing us, and we're now on the clock for next week. I would not want to have jokes. to do
4: that every week. That is so. Can exhausting. you ma- can, David? Oh, can you imagine god. doing that every day, every can night? I have such day? respect for writers who do that for a living. That's uh, They all eventually
3: go insane.
4: <laughs> well, they were probably insane to start with, but it's yeah, it's, uh, it's so very hard. Weird. Oh my god! Uh, well, so David, <laughs>
3: we, we gave you the we gave you the mini intro earlier. We'll give you the maxi intro now. Family Guy writer, Golden Girls writer uh, dad's writer. oh the list gets bigger and bigger and also president of the wga who brought the agencies to their fucking knees and they love him for it and they love him they're just lining up to represent him david goodman thank you for joining us thank you for
4: having me i'm uh, yeah. You must be so honored to have me. <laughs> we we are
3: David. We are. We know you have. We all have low self esteem on here. We get it. But we, we are honored to, to have you I feel like here. if this
4: was a if this was a network channel, they they all just switched to Mr. Belvedere. I just uh, it's like oh you know it's
3: fine. It's fine. Well, if, be- if Belvedere's on, I mean gonna <laughs> you're, gonna that, you're gonna watch that obviously. Um, now I know Goldie. Uh, we had talked about Goldie had some good questions uh, mm. uh, for you but I, I wanted to start off with your voice. Okay, so your voice, <laughs> in the Family Guy writer's room, your voice uh, is legendary, mm-hmm. uh, not only for you know telling us what to do and when to do it during the, uh, the period of the show that right. was the most successful in the show's right. history, but also you have a timbre to your voice that is very distinctive. And I want to know... When did you – did you notice this about yourself growing up? When did you start to think, hey, my voice is is different and people – it's something – Interesting and different about me, or did oh, you no, ever feel it, that oh, way?
4: I never thought it was interesting. I didn't notice it honestly till Seth started imitating me. Oh, uh, wow. You know, that's it was so uh, it, it, you know, I would I would listen to my voice like you had that thing when you're a little kid and you have a cassette recorder. This is how old I am. Yeah, uh, and uh, <laughs> you you hear your voice. And it's like that's not what I sound like because right. it sounded awful. <laughs> my voice sounded awful yeah. to me. Uh, it, it didn't sound, and it still doesn't sound good. Uh, but <laughs> I didn't notice, I Seth's, you know, he's so amazing doing imitations of yeah. people who don't deserve yes. imitations. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, he would start doing me and and then everybody started doing, they weren't imitating me. Everybody in the writer's room would imitate Seth's imitation of me. Oh, wow. Yes. And, it's like uh, the Dana
3: Carvey thing. Right, You do right. imitate Everybody's Dana like, Carvey's impersonation. Yeah.
4: Exactly. So, uh, so no, I don't, I, I, I I've embraced it. Uh, yes. Good. That, you and, should. And, well, what were your options, and, uh, really? Uh, really, no. <laughs> roll with it. Roll with it. They hit you in the face. Roll. with it uh, the, uh, uh, But you know, in saying, I sound like Ray Romano always gets. I, whenever I do a speech or anything, I start with that. It always gets a laugh because uh, it's like yeah. he does. He does sound like Ray Romano too. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah, you do. laughs> I and mean, well, it gets and people fact, excited. Were, oh my God! Yeah.
3: You uh, were in a family. You were in a Family Guy cutaway. Uh, for that reason, because yeah. there was a, a family guy cutaway with a round table of Ray Romano. Uh, who else Har- was it? Harold Ramis. Uh, Harold Ramis. Her- was
4: it Kermit, too? or Kermit, Kermit the and uh, uh, one, one Al Michaels? Of, maybe maybe. Yeah. Al Michaels.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were, they were all people.
4: Who... <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. They all just sat around. To... And, and, and uh, did you imitate Ray Romano in that one? Yes, yeah, so I Ray did Romano? Ray Romano, yeah. yeah.
4: I also, that's you guys, excellent. this is just one of my favorite, you guys, after I left the show, the writers would often, would go to Vegas once a year, and after I left the show, I didn't go on the trip, and I have this video on my phone of all the writers sitting around this giant table in a steak restaurant doing me. <laughs> yes, that's it's, right, I remember I literally, that. I literally cheered up Aww. watching this video. Oh, that's great. Right. <laughs> well, I
3: mean, if, if any of the people, any of the people listening to this show, uh, our Family Guy fans, I'm assuming some of them are, you really wrangled that show at a time when it was like herding cats, when it was like wild horses that needed to be broken. And obviously, when you were running the show, it was as popular as it will ever be. And you had Seth there in the room with us. So, you you know, there's somebody there to kind of bounce things off of and take cues from. But I'm, I'm interested to hear... What was your experience like when, when Seth came to you and asked you to do that? Were you at all hesitant? Did you leap on it? What, and, and what was the job like? Did it, what were your expectations and did it, did it meet them?
4: Well, the answer to that last question first yes. Uh, I did. um, uh, uh, I had been on the show in the third season. Family Guy was on for three years. It was canceled twice after the second season and then after the third season and came back in the fourth season. I was on the show in season three and uh, Dan Palladino was running the show with Seth. Dan was leaving to go do... Gilmore Girls, and and right. and so he he in case Family Guy got picked up for 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 season, he was bringing me in to replace him. And it's a short story, but it's funny story. I was incredibly desperate to, for a job then, uh, like right. really desperate. Like I I the last show I'd worked on, it hadn't gone well. Everybody was calling that showrunner. I was not getting any job interviews, and I see Dan Palladino in a parking lot. In uh, where the Sunset Five is, and I pretend to run into him, like I run around the parking lot, <laughs> so that I can. Amazing. And, and <laughs> I had worked with Dan like nine years before on a sitcom, and and it was hey Dan, you know, run, <laughs> pretending to run into him. I was like seeing him anything. I don't I don't even know what Dan's working on at that moment. He's like yeah, you know, I'm working on the show that might you might be right for. And I go into the job interview, and it was. You know, I I hadn't actually seen the show even when I went into the job interview and uh, with Seth and and Dan right. Seth was a huge Star Trek fan, so am I. And that was sort of, I think, ah. the tipping point for him. Um, yes. And then I watched some videotapes after the job interview. I'm literally like whining to my wife, I have to get this job. This is such a <laughs> awesome. funny show. Like it was such a weird, yeah. it's hard to remember when Family Guy wasn't a thing where nobody knew about it, and you yeah. you discover right. this thing, and it's like, what the fuck is this? This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um yeah. Uh, so then I did that show third season and that experience prepared me to run the show. And to me, the, you know, the best anecdote from that time was, um, involves one of your guests, Alex Borsi and I, I, Dan had told me, okay, I want you to keep the room running when I'm not in it. And he's just sort of given me that as kind of like, so I didn't know that that included running the room while Seth is there. Oh. Uh, and, and it was it a did. very weird, strange thing. Like, I'm the, I'm a co-EP. I'm not the senior writer. I'm... And so Dan leaves the room, and Mike Henry's in the room, and all these other very funny people are in the room, and they start goofing off, and Seth's goofing off with them. And I'm like, oh, shit. Are we going to get back to work? And I lean into <laughs> I, I lean over to Alex Borstein, who I just met, and I said, Alex, does Seth ever run the room? And Alex just laughs at me. <laughs> 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 she said, Tuh! And so I le- then in the most awkward, awkward moment, I had fucked up my last job. I hadn't gone well. It kept me from working. And I literally stand up, walk over. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to interrupt him. This is my new yeah. boss. Yeah. And I go sure. over and I whisper, in, do you think we should get back to work? He's like, yeah, yeah. David's right. We should get back to work. And that, that in a nutshell, is me running Family Guy. That is, yes. that is what I did as the showrunner because it's not my show. Uh, right. It's not. I didn't create this thing. I, my whole job uh, during those years when we came back and we we're doing the show was facilitating Seth uh, doing right. the show. But I was running the room. I was keeping going. I think the thing you gave me a great compliment one. Once Alex, uh, like, nobody reads the room better than me. And yes. um, and so I was always reading Seth. Uh, yeah. What And Seth is not a confrontational guy. He doesn't like saying, I don't like that. He's gotten better at it. But back then, he right. never liked shutting anybody down. He never liked saying, I don't like that. But after some time, I could say, all right, Seth doesn't like this, so I'll shut it down. And, yes. and for the most part, I was probably 80% right to whenever i made those decisions sometimes he said More. no 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 let's keep going on that and whatever but you know i was sort of doing a mind reading act of like what does he want and and then the other piece of it was just whatever skills i had as a in terms of breaking stories and bringing him things that were mostly done for him to sign off on, I, I was pretty good at that. I think too. Like, like, how much Absolutely. work can we do without Seth? Uh, you can't do it all without Seth. He doesn't want you to. It's his show, but there's a, a fair amount of work you can do, and then present it to him, and and you're usually in pretty good shape. So that that yeah. was that was what the job was. Uh, it's a it was a unique show running job because I was not the final decision maker. I was a mind reader. Uh, yeah. And, right.
3: Uh, Right. Well, I think I think to that point, you definitely reached a a level of rapport with Seth and with all of us where after some time in that job, you were the final decision maker. You you know, if Seth was there, he can obviously veto or or not anything, but he was very comfortable with the decisions you would make, which I think is a great compliment to your abilities there. Now, Goldie, when we were talking yesterday, you you had some questions about like David's origin story for backup. Well, back of, I mean, just even
5: term. hearing, and I'm, I'm just like sitting back and just now I'm just a listener of the podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I want to hear about the job before that, if you'll talk about it, um, that didn't go well and like. Oh wow, yeah, that's no, I,
4: it was uh, oh. you know. I have I've had a long career. I've been a writer for like 35 years. I should be so much more yeah. successful. I uh, <laughs> but I've, I've stayed in. I have stayed in. I'm still still a working writer. Uh, and uh, one of the things you guys have said on the podcast, which I think is really really vital and really is like, pay attention to who your boss is. Pay attention to what they need. And right. uh, and I didn't do that a couple of times. <laughs> and uh, so, for instance, my my first job was on golden girls and I had a writing partner at the time, a great guy named Rick cop. And we had a great first year. And then the showrunners changed showrunners left. a new showrunner came in and he had a different style of doing things. And my partner and I had, it was our first job. We were, I was 25 and we're on this show. Yeah. And I, and we thought we're just going to keep doing it the old way. Cause that worked with, for those people. and was stupid. Um, this yeah. guy had a different way of doing it. and He fired us. Yeah. But then later on, Uh, My first job after my partner and I broke up, basically, was this show, Stark Raving Man. It was run by a guy named Steve Levitan, who I'd known a long time. I'd worked with Steve on on Wings, and, you know, I'd say it's 50% my fault and 50% his fault. That is, we got along, and he thought I was funny. He gave me scripts to write. He put me in charge of rooms, breaking stories, but uh, I would, you know— I was doing stupid ass shit. Like <laughs> what? Was, I made. I would make fun of him. I oh. would, you know, and that was like right. that was stupid. Yeah, I was in
5: that to my own detriment. Yeah, you know, and it was like, <laughs> and, and, and,
4: and I think that then there was a there were. I mean, he he might say something different. He might say well david's work wasn't up to par whatever it i i know what happened which was and i'll take 50% of the responsibility i was a dick and, and yeah. uh, <laughs> which is not really my personality but i think Wow. Um, uh, well, all right.
2: <laughs> uh, no,
5: it, it isn't.
4: But, and uh, uh, but it was out of insecurity, and it was out of, and it fucked me. And Yeah. Uh, so well, isn't then, it?
3: Isn't it? Isn't it ironic that you wound up running Family Guy, which was basically well, like a dozen or more dicks. Well, yeah.
4: Yeah, oh, exactly. It was a room of bullies. <laughs> uh, but you know what's great about that story was, so that this was back in the day where you would go in for network staffing season every year. You were, and I've been on like. Ten shows and it, that have been canceled after thirteen episodes. And then after Star Craving Mad, I went into staffing season, and it was it was deadly because people called Steve, and Steve was honest. I didn't get along with him or whatever, and you know, right. and so were a bunch of bunch of jobs didn't happen because of that. I had one last. Job uh, for this show, the Gina Davis show, which was the sitcom. Gina Davis did I the sitcom, that, yeah. and a friend of mine was producing it, and she wanted to hire me. And the studio exec said no. Studio exec said no, you can't hire him. And based off of your reputation, well, it was be- it was. I I don't know the exact story, okay. but that's what the studio. I don't, okay. you know. And the, my friend, who's a producer, said, just give me a couple months. Said to my agents, give me a couple of months till it calms down, because she felt bad and. Because I didn't get the Gina Davis show, I was available for Family Guy, which got to pick up outside oh, of the normal season. So thank, thank God, God for that studio exec. Yeah. And then <laughs> be- best end of the story is my friend uh, Nina, that in August she calls my agent, okay, I can hire David now. And my agent said, oh, David's got a job, but do you have an opening? And she said, no, no, this was just for David, which to me is like. You know, oh, yeah. wow, what a oh. what, what what a great. To me, like yes. I didn't have to I didn't end up on that show, but, but the yeah. fact that somebody was, you know, that happens so rarely in the, yeah. in the business. That that people look nice. at food, Yeah, yeah. That is um, nice.
3: Now now so so Goldie, get to the 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 origin story. Well, yeah, <laughs> well
5: I what? I just wanted to go back and even further than that because to me you're almost too smart to be doing this. Like, you should probably be doing something else in life. Yeah, I you should agree. be an economist or, you know, <laughs> advising important so people, nice. and then you're just kind I, of taking around. My work
4: is done if you think I'm that smart. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just
5: kind of wondering, you know, because you're from, what, like New Rochelle or something? Yeah, I'm from and, New and Rochelle, New York. And how you yeah. get from a kid in New Rochelle who's obviously yeah. like a smart guy and probably should be pre-law or pre-med or something right. else. And then you're in Hollywood working at 25. How does that happen? Way yeah, back then, uh, way, way, way <laughs> back, then. Long,
4: long time ago. You know, it was hard. It was you're loading hay into the wagon and eating your roasted potato when you're thinking, How yeah, you're, you're getting, you're loading
3: up with the <laughs> the Jodes for the cross country trip.
4: <laughs> uh, but. Uh, yeah, my mom was a social worker. My dad was a professor of psychology. They he left too, just like Alex dad. He left. <laughs> oh, uh, wow. yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, dad. Oh, those were the days. I have not forgiven him, <laughs> uh, but I'm not as I'm not as. But um, I'm not sure. It basically I I, it, I was in college and I went to the University of Chicago and I was a political science major and I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I thought, or an academic. Most of the people in my family were academics. And I met this guy. His name is Jeremiah Bosgang. And Jeremiah was a student with me at Chicago and had already been an apprentice writer on Letterman. Wow. And oh, I cool. was like, what is that? Holy shit. And I'd actually seen him in a Museum of the Hard to Believe sketch. He'd like been on screen. And I'm like, oh my God, you were on television. Like, <laughs> like literally like that guy was like somehow proof that you could you could break in. I'd always yes. been interested in TV and movies. I watched five hours of television a day growing up. Yeah. And read books. There's <laughs> a giant all these things, but I didn't really think it was a, a an option. And you know, meeting that guy definitely opened my mind to the idea of like, oh, oh, these are jobs. You can actually get a job doing that. And so that that was the first thing. And then I graduated college and I and I wasn't – I really wasn't motivated on the academic thing. I wasn't – I went to a great college and was just hit in the face with what a mediocre intellect I am. And, like, these people – these people at University of Chicago, the undergrads there, I mean, Jesus Christ, such smart, focused, like, my – Roommate was a medieval history major and he was taking Latin so he could read the text in the original Latin. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and what a you nerd. know, just not anything I couldn't, I couldn't. I was like, all right, I'm everyone had told me I was smart growing up, and then I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not that smart. And so I left thinking I might want to be a writer, and I got this job working in publishing, thinking, oh, that's will be a way to. I'm going to shorten the story.
5: So a novelist, or a short story writer? Or Sci- what kind of science writer? fiction. I thought I was
4: going to be a science fiction Oh, my writer. God. Cool. And, you mean um, an
5: Isaac ass of yourself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so,
4: very good. Uh, you were you were he was referencing Dick. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
4: uh, these are great. These are great thank <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, I feel the like the story is really too many of their Dean
5: Koontz. Is it, <laughs>
4: he's more, he's more, he's more horror. Anyway, uh, it was is this story boring? Should I cut it off? Is that no, what you No, uh, keep going. No, all right, no. So, all right. So I have this job in subsidiary rights at Simon and Schuster. Uh, subsidiary rights is selling, books to foreign publishers and uh, excerpts to magazines and there's a little bit of selling to movies most usually agents do that but all these movie producers were calling my desk to get copies of books ahead of their publication because they were looking right and so i was sneaking these manuscripts to to producers and one <laughs> of them hired me wow. as an assistant wow And oh, that's uh, awesome and Ooh, so i was holy. working at, at what's that who who was it? Give me a shout out. So what well, the thing is it was a company called uh, Highgate Pictures and it was a development exec named Abby Wolf and she's okay. no longer in the business but she wow. she hired me and then and then while while I was at that company I got put on the uh, as an assistant to a sitcom writer her name is Gloria Banta and Gloria had been a sitcom writer in the 70s out here she wrote for Mary Tyler Moore and Rhoda the character oh, wow. Tony ba- Tony Bant on on taxis named after her oh. uh, her, her wow. partner's name, partner's name was Pat Nardo Nardo was that yeah but they were and um yeah. Gloria encouraged me to write and I found this writing partner who was an assistant there too because I had never really finished a script I thought I wanted to be a writer but I'd never done it Rick my partner had. He'd done it, and I liked him. We had very different sensibilities, but we got along really well, and we wrote two spec scripts, a Family Ties spec script cool. and a Golden awesome. Girl spec script. Uh, family Ties spec script. Uh, uh, Steven is running for the school board, and Alec, is his son, is a campaign manager for his opponent. And <laughs> That's uh, great. And <laughs> So proud of that story somehow. It's really good. And, great. Uh, and Just a go Golden find or Girl-
5: place on the names and say it's a new pilot. <laughs> yeah. I know, you know. Really you're right. Perfect. I
4: should. It was actually a pretty good script. Anyway, I, uh, anyway there was a writer strike in 1988, and it was a very long strike. And Gloria gave the scripts to Paul Witt and Tony Thomas, who were the producers of Golden Girls. And because there was a strike going on, they had all this time to read. Oh. And two weeks later, they read it and said, "Yeah, the strike's over. We want to put you guys on Golden Girls." That's
3: oh, that! W- and what kind of a feeling was that? Like, I mean, unbelievable. That, like, I'm still getting yeah.
4: chills thinking about that. Yeah, I'm like 25 in my one room apartment. Oh. I'm on yeah, the I got phone. goosebumps just thinking about it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you. I I was in this room, a room not much larger than this, in New York City, on the phone. We're on this call with Tony Thomas, me and my partner. And uh, Tony says, well, you know, we really loved your scripts, top-notch stuff. We'd love to put you out. I mean, you guys are in New York, and and Rick and I said simultaneously we'll move even though
2: <laughs>
4: even though I, I never heard Rick say we'll move I found that out after the call he said Rick said I said we'll move and I said yeah I said that too uh, <laughs> and just crazy I'm 25 I'd been basically an assistant up to that point and now I'm a writer on a top 10 television yeah. show it's crazy
3: yeah, that's unbelievable, unbelievable. Now, now give us give us an idea how many when you joined the show roughly how many people a week were watching golden girls
4: i mean yeah. I, I don't know i have millions <laughs> 50 million <laughs> yeah. i i don't know it was yeah. but the crazy ratings that we got on that show it's like the even on the rerun of our episode our first episode you know just unbelievable like i i don't know i actually don't know i think i feel like it was in the twenties of millions, I mean, it was yeah, a lot, had, lot, of, a lot of. It had to be. It, had it was, to a, be. was a. That was an amazing, and just was, amazing.
3: And was there an adjustment for you? Uh, I'm sorry, Goldie. I could see you leaning back to ask no. The no, no, no. Did I'm, you have a related? I don't. I was. I, I was going to say, was there because writing a spec script in a vacuum is one thing, and it's its own kind of scariness because you don't really know what you're doing. And then you were fortunate enough to get brought out to be on this great, right. legendary right. show with these yeah. fantastic actresses and now we've talked to um uh, Lou Schneider okay who was uh, who wrote for Everybody right. Loves Raymond and Golden Girls and Everybody Loves Raymond have one major thing in common, which is that the laugh holds on the show, that Crazy. is the, the, length, the length of the laughter from the yeah, studio audience right. on both of those shows were yeah. incredible. Now, was that something that when you were writing for the show, did you know to take that into account, or did you overwrite and then they're like, hey, we're
1: tearing out 10 pages because we never have yeah. scripts this long? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
4: Uh, they would, they, but they would shoot, they would shoot the show. Um, they'd time it after the table read and then run throughs and then, but yeah, sometimes they would hack out like whole things because of the last spread's just too big. We need to, so there are, there are episodes of Golden Girls where there's like, there's like, there's this great episode these guys wrote where B. Arthur's character dates, uh, a guy who wants, who's a successful lawyer, played by Dick Van Dyke, uh, and he wants to go back. He wants to be a clown. He wants to go to clown college. And, <laughs> and So she's got this, this. great, and it's this great. This finally, this great boyfriend, and he's like, "But I just, I want to be a clown." And there's great, this a great scene, and there's this great scene at the end that got cut, and I, I will always remember it. Like she, she ends up breaking up with him. She can't stay with this guy who's going to be a clown and she goes in and she's talking to Sophia about it and then the last line of the episode is don't uh don't worry dorothy there'll be other clowns <laughs> <laughs> and that got cut and that scene's not in the show it's not in the show Aww. because the laugh spread on that thing was so long they had to cut stuff and they cut that they filmed it and they didn't, but they never aired it wow. and to me Unbelievable. like there's like great stuff that just like we just got to pull it out just right. got to pull it out what
5: were those tapings we- like the, those tapings must have just been electric
4: yeah no well they were i mean you never seen pros like that those all you know the the three of the three central ones i mean yeah, estelle had a lot team. estelle had a lot of trouble remembering lines but um <laughs> uh but the other three were just such pros and uh, you know, again, B. Arthur's takes to the camera. That's not a director telling her to do that. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's not, that <laughs> woman knows. Uh, <laughs> all right, B- Betty just got a giant laugh. I'm just going to stare. And that's just her, inch, you know, she and, and they didn't, they weren't competitive either. That was the thing too. They weren't oh, like, she got hear. more laughs and they were, they really, they were, I really talked to them very little. I was so intimidated, uh, but my brief conversations with them all, they all sort of reminded me of my mother. They were all like older ladies <laughs> right. and they, right. they weren't particularly funny. Younger people. than us
5: now, by the way.
4: <laughs> oh. yeah. exactly. oh. uh, think. Be- <laughs> Betty was very funny, but Rue and, and Estelle and uh B were just sort of normal ladies, but then you give them the lines and they're just like amazing. So, yeah, what a, and
3: what a first job! Yeah, crazy, yeah.
4: And then to get uh, fired from that was also a, a very important uh lesson, yeah,
3: so, yeah, right. Well, no, we and Goldie and I have, have talked about this kind of thing on the show before yeah. where Goldie and I started out at SNL and I was right. fired from there and I'll never yeah. forget it. Like it, right. it was a, it was a traumatic event because like golden girls, right. SNL is a, is a name brand. You sure. know, you, you, you right. say golden girls to anyone and they're like, Ooh, ah, it's the same with right. SNL, but oh, yeah. getting fired from there sucked, but it was right. probably the, one of the better things that, that.
4: No, absolutely. Getting fired from that job was absolutely, I, I don't know what, what kind of writer, or what kind of career I would have had if I, if I hadn't If I'd stayed for the rest of the run Better Probably <laughs> Well certainly Probably wealthier But But Because it But Because it sort of taught me the the really important lesson of like reinvent. You you're like your your job is to make yourself valuable to the business. The business owes yeah. you nothing. Yes, and uh, that that was the first time that happened. It had to happen a couple more times for it to <laughs> sink right. in. For it really <laughs> sunk in. <laughs> it <was> really <laughs> sunk in. But that was the first. Time. <laughs> uh,
3: boy, so I wanted to to ask to skip ahead uh, uh, a little bit here to your to the stint as president of the WGA. Right. So I, I sort of made a, a flip joke about it. And, and you know my level of involvement with WGA Matters. Um, I am uh, the first person out there. with a, No, no. You, you know that I, I really don't care that much right. or understand right. kind of what's going on. So uh, pretend everyone out there is like me. Uh, just give us a quick breakdown of... Because you are honestly like... What you did, it, to my mind, like just again, and I don't know much, is, was <laughs> heroic. You know, I know oh, you wouldn't a... say like, oh, I, I yeah. went into it to be brave and courageous and stand up. But you, what you did was you stood up to a Hollywood institution, which are the agencies, the big agencies, And there was a grievance between the agencies and the WGA and you basically held your ground and you took some flack for it at first where it was like, well, this isn't working and the WGA is fumbling again and they don't know what they're doing. But then Mm -hmm. after time, it worked like you basically won against something that seems like an unbelievably powerful institution. So just give us a little thumbnail of what the grievance was there and how it felt to be in the middle of it.
4: Do I have to? <laughs> uh, is that like, is that a requirement? The hero. The <laughs> hero. <laughs> Carry me up on the show. I'm in i I'm in therapy four days a week because of this. That's a, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, well, This um, will be your fifth. Yeah. Thanks. Um, that's covered by the
5: insurance. So. It
4: is. It's a great fucking <laughs> yeah, insurance plan. Thank you. you so much. Thanks to me. Uh, um, I, I, you know, I'm, the the guild, I, I wanted to say something about the guild, which is like, it's this yeah. thing that I think writers think is like the DMV. It's like this thing, and it's kind of this pain in the ass, and you've got to fill out forms, and, oh, why do I got to fill out all these forms? And, exactly. And, and the Writers Guild is actually much more uh, tenuous than the, DMV, <laughs> than the DMV. It it only exists because writers want it to. And because it exists, we get health insurance, we get things like residuals, and honestly, without the is the solidarity, the membership, it could go away tomorrow. It literally could. Right. The companies would happily see the end of the WGA. Uh, because yeah. of the WGA, they've got to pay, pay us more. They've got to pay residuals. They've got to pay into our health plan, uh, into our pension plan, all those things. And all that comes from writers saying, this is important to us. We're looking after the little guys in our union, the people who are just starting out, the people who um, – are not the rich guys, but are actually the staff writers. And and we have, you know, amazing things in our union that other unions don't have. We have paid family leave in our union. That happened while I was president. Amazing. I'll take credit awesome. for it. And and that's like an amazing <laughs> thing. Not just, and that's just not women, that's men. They can take paid family leave when they have a kid. That's amazing. That is I awesome. that's
5: four weird. years too early for that. You did. You did. You, <laughs> did. you, missed, you missed the boat.
4: Um, so this thing that we did with the agencies, I'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible. There's uh, this thing called packaging, and there's this thing called packaging fees. Uh, packaging is when, let's say, uh, the three of you are at the same agency and JC going to act and, and Goldie's going to direct and Alex is going to write it. And if you're all at the same agency, the agency takes that to a studio and says, uh, we represent all three of these people. This is a package. And the agency yes. in the old days, w- the agency would say, would say to the studio uh, rather than me taking commissions from my clients, you guys pay me. And that was the packaging fee. And what there was an advantage for everybody in that you guys, it's seeming an advantage in that you guys didn't have to pay your 10% uh, commission on this thing that you were a package part of. The the problem was the thing mutated into this, uh, packaging fees mutated into the fact that they could get a packaging fee for just representing the writer. And what that Um. ended up happening was... They were getting money from the studio. They were getting back end on whatever that writer created. And they were making millions and millions of dollars. And it wasn't connected to what the writer was earning. And as a result, writers over time have been making less and less. While our agencies were getting bigger and more powerful and richer. Right. And it all went back to this packaging fee, which was a conflict of interest. You're basically, your agent's supposed to represent you. So if the uh, studio is paying them, they're not representing you. They're looking after their own interests. So right. we took that on. It was Packaging fees was something that had been codified in an agreement that we had with the agencies that went back 40 years. It was a dead letter agreement. It really didn't operate anymore. And what we were saying is we want to renegotiate that. We want to get rid of this. And we did. Um, it, it's really interesting
5: because awesome. I went back after, after all this happened. I, there's this book called Powerhouse about the history of CAA. Um, Right,
4: great book. Yeah,
5: yeah, great book by this guy, James Andrew Miller. And so, you know, packaging to me was just this abstract term that I heard first when Mm -hmm. I was at Family Guy as a way that I didn't have to pay commission because what they said was like, oh, you're with the William Morris Endeavor WME and they package the show. So I was like, Oh great! Like I just say ten percent of my money. Sounds great. Packaging yeah. is this great thing. It I don't right. know what it means or what it does. I don't know right. where the money's coming from. But I was happy to have my ten percent. Yeah. But in reading this book, <laughs> what it made me realize was, oh, and they used to package stuff like it was a real thing that was yep. actually useful. Right. Like they would yeah. get together. You know, it's like I'm taking you, Tom Cruise, and I'm taking Steven Spielberg, and I'm and. And so they would they would leverage themselves as your agent and these people's agents to get a writer in a right. room with talent they otherwise wouldn't, with directors they otherwise wouldn't. And they would go to the studio and say, we're not even going to pitch this. This is so good. You're just going to fucking buy it. And right. we've right. gone and produced it right. and assembled it, which is a genuinely yeah. – had I work. experienced that no, in my career, yeah. I would go – oh wow like
2: <laughs> my dreams are right, coming true right, and i'm just sitting
5: right. here and everyone's scurrying around right working for me but then yeah. when i had my own show and and it's just on a phone call they go oh, by the way we package this and and like i'm still going like yeah i guess that saved me 10 percent." at some point i i kind of don't know what it means and you know as a showrunner the, the amount of problems that come to you are right. numerous right endless and of all different sizes and yeah. it's hard to know which your big ones and which your right. little ones but if your only relationship to that is i once saved some money right. maybe i'm saving some people on staff some money right. i don't care where rupert murdoch's money right. goes necessarily right. like it, it it took something to me that was very confusing and made me understand it in a good way when we do yeah. this and it, it it did highlight oh yeah this is this is kind of a scam <laughs> yeah. No, but if, I, I, it were, if they were actually packaging, yeah. it isn't a scam. Right.
4: right. No, absolutely right. And I think that, you know, and that's the thing is that, that the overwhelming number of packaging fees were paid on things that were not packaged. Yes. Uh, You know, but the, it, there are still agents. Who do that work? Who do that work of putting you with talent? And uh, but that's not what it had morphed into. So so the, it was, you know, it was it was. A, I, I'm not going to lie, it was a tough fight. But most of the writers, yeah. most of the writers in the guild were for it because many many uh, top people in the guild, people who are at the sort of the top of the industry understood that their agents weren't necessarily doing the work to earn this money. But then more more importantly, the writers on the lower end in the guild hadn't had an agent. You know, they broke in without an agent. They broke in with a manager or or they were at an agency and they really felt like they weren't getting attention. Or And so there were things about this fight that sort of brought to light like a, a way of looking at your representation differently and saying, I have expectations of you. I need you to do this. So that that to me was like, an important thing that we we did is that writers, I think, now as a group look at their reps a, little, a, a lot differently uh, because you know I I had that too, which was I was afraid to call my agent to ask for things. I was afraid, hey, right. what's going on? What's going on with this? What's going on with that job yeah. you were going to put me up for? Were you gonna, did you do that? And yeah. um, you know, <laughs> and you sort of realize, oh wait, no, they're working for me. Yeah, there's, there's right. and that and that that is a really important piece of, of of this fight and i'm curious
5: do you have an agent now yeah That's what uh, There I was, there ask.
4: was uh, one agent who was willing to represent me uh, <laughs> uh this guy's name is andy patman he's at a3 and he's done incredible work in the last year and he he has said that the agency campaign uh was was a good thing for their agency because they're on the old model of like 10 working for your clients and um, there was, I think I went out looking for an agent. I had a manager who used to be my feature agent. He's and so I, I wasn't completely without representation, but I wanted an agent who could help me a little bit more in television. And um nobody really wanted to represent me, but <laughs> but yeah. Andy, I now I, don't I now
5: have. don't have an agent yeah. after this. Which I'm yeah. fine with because I have right. my the guy who was my agent became my manager. This guy uh-huh. David Stone, he's great right. and he's right you know, both a friend, counsel, he's right. everything to me. And I just feel like I don't I'm not trying real hard to, right. to break into anything else.
2: Yeah.
4: I I uh I needed the help and it's it's helped. And he's <laughs> he's a great <laughs> and I've had great you know, that's the thing too, is like everybody assumed that this fight came out of me having terrible agents and it's just not true. I've had incredible agents over the years that have changed my career a couple of times. And yeah, but that's not what the fight was about. Uh, yeah. I've also had I don't know why when,
3: when, when you talked when you talked about the one guy who would represent you I'm picturing uh, Hank Kingsley's agent on the Larry Sanders show, <laughs> the old guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but, uh, but your your point is right that I never took it that way that you had like this crusade against all agents. Right, I, I, because we all know having worked for 10, right. 20, 30 years in this business, you get good agents, you get bad agents, right, just like right. anything. Just like yeah. you get good writers, you get bad writers. Right. You get good executives, you get bad executives. Right. It's not like this blanket thing of like. And sometimes, all the agents, by are the way, the you're book.
5: good, and sometimes you're bad. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Right.
4: Right. Sometimes you're not right for the job. <laughs> that's yeah. The, uh, that, well, that's the thing too. To
3: anyone listening who is uh, is recently become a writer, thinking of becoming a writer, or been a writer for a while, we all owe David Goodman a uh, a, a profound thank you for so, his brave stance. Thank you. Awesome. Against uh, again am, the large agencies in this town, where you you just don't think you can get anything done, and you you got it done.
4: Yeah, no, that so. was the thing too. That people were coming up to me, like big studio execs, would sort of quietly say, "What you're doing is righteous," uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, but, and they never but, lie. But they but they were whisper. Well, no, they were whispering it because they were afraid. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. and i you know that they they didn't like packaging either. So that was the other piece of this. is, I mean, obviously, I don't. I didn't do this to help the studios, but it was right. <laughs> it, <wasn't laughs> <any love. Yeah. laughs> it was an interesting. Never, interesting moment, and I am so glad bad to, uh, to have them like you. I am no longer president of the guild. Mer- Meredith Steen yeah. president of the guild. I'm very happy not to be anymore. Yes, so. <laughs> no, you uh, did. You
3: a, did your. You did your part and did right. it well. Thanks. Um, now, bef- before we get to uh, top five, I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, your new movie, um, oh, thank which, is you. cal- which is called Honor Society, I yes, believe. Yes, very good. And yeah. so, because so t- you revealed something to me about this script that I had no idea. So tell us a little bit uh, about, you know, uh, the process and, yeah. and where we can watch it.
4: Well, I don't know if this is the thing. I, I, I named the character... The name of the movie's Honor Society. I named the main character Honor just to piss off the writers in the family of <laughs> the, yeah, the I'm sure
3: that will work. No, but you had, you, you had told me, and I, and I related to this, that it, you, that it was the first script you had ever written yes. completely by yourself. I mean,
4: yeah. you know, that there was this first time in 35 years that I had written a script that there really wasn't another writer involved. Uh, oh, wow. that uh there wasn't another writer going nah we're not going to do that you know that there was and and I didn't even realize it till the movie started getting shot what a personal script it was what uh you know it's a high school movie it's kind of uh that you know that show when I pitched it it was sort of house of cards in high school oh. a woman a young woman and and she's talking to the camera and she's manipulating everybody to get what she Love that. wants yeah. and that's how I pitched it at the time and and the again like it was it was a job like basically uh, i there are very few executives who i have relationships with but there's one guy his name is Brian Robbins who i had done these kids movies for these fred movies back like 10 years ago and then he started a company called Awesomeness tv and my agent actually my agent was going to lunch with him and he said do you have anything to pitch to brian and i said yeah here's this idea and i gave him this one liner and so my this agent, is
5: not based on ip or whatever this is just something nothing, you yeah. came up and with, i got it.
4: Okay. I, I give my agent the one-liner and he pitches it to Brian at lunch and Brian bought it at lunch, which is again a great wow. agent story. Wow. Amazing yeah. agent awesome. story. Wow. And so I wrote the script then, but I was really all I was trying to do was was please uh, Brian. <laughs> like It was like a high school movie. I was a, a female lead, which is not necessarily if you think too much about it it might sound creepy. And uh, the uh, <laughs> But I wrote this movie, and it—I it, was like really just pulling things from my own experience, from my kids' experience. I talked to my daughter extensively. She was—is was, was actually a personal thing. She Amazing. was she was a senior in high school at the time, and I, she was leaving, and it was kind of like this way of sort of trying to connect with her, um, writing the script. Anyway, that was like five years ago, and then um, the movie didn't get made. And my new agent Andy reads it, and he says what happened with the script? It's a great script. And I'm like, I don't know. And Andy revived interest in it. And Brian, um, who is now head of Paramount, Wow. put it in it into production and Amazing. um and now it's going to be on Paramount Plus probably sometime later in the year. We love that. Um, oh, Grace God. Oh my right. god cuz got awesome a captive they, audience. They
5: have Love Boat too. I,
4: uh, the yes. <laughs> all, all the one, they have Love Boat. They have Hawaii 50. Uh the original Mission Impossible, my favorite one cuz they have
3: Love Boat.
2: And now Honor Society. And on they on also it.
3: have <laughs> Beverly Hills 90210. They right. they got a lot on there. It's it's good oh, stuff. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's good.
2: <laughs> but uh what,
4: great cast. This uh, actress Angowary Rice plays the lead. She was the daughter in Mayor of East Town, Siobhan, that character, and very, oh, very right. terrific, oh, terrific yeah. actress. And then Chris Minz who was McLovin in yes. in uh Superbad. Superbad. And Gaten Matarazzo is one of the is who's on Stranger Things is in it. It's a great it's a great cast. I, I was, can't wait to I was watch thrilled. it. Yeah, it was great. And you were That's on set, awesome. it
5: looked like, right? You didn't direct it, but you were there. No,
4: I was on set, and and it was also just this great experience being on set, because they just gave me two weeks on set, just as almost a courtesy. And the director, it's her first feature, really talented woman, Oran Zegman, and she she found me so valuable to her, she lobbied the studio for me to stay the whole time. Wow. And, oh, that's great. Uh, so that was like a great uh, working where relationship. Did it, where did it shoot? In Vancouver.
3: Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Run for Coover. Love it. Oh, well, congratulations on that. Thank yeah. when, Thank is, much. when does it come out?
4: I'm not quite sure. Probably uh, fall, early fall, I would think. But. Awesome. Cool. Awesome.
3: Well, I can't wait to watch it. Congratulations on that success story. It sounds like these agents are great people. Um, (laughs) I'm so
4: sorry. I made a huge mistake.
3: (laughs) Well, uh, David, uh, thank you so much for for talking to us today. And also thank you for staying for this next part of the show. Oh, my God. I'm happy to be here. That (laughs) we like to call Top 5. Top 5. David, who do you think sings that?
4: Uh, is that Tom Gamble? Does he do it? <laughs> yeah, you got it. He's later. Oh, all right. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah, that's
3: us, damn it. <laughs> um, so, G- Goldie, tell us what we're going to be top fiving about today, because this was your category. Yeah, it's uh, top five things
5: that even though you're an adult, you still don't understand.
3: <laughs> Love that. Great topic. So, uh, uh, David, would you like to go first as the as the uh, guest
4: again and keep that? Uh, uh, sure. Sure, sure. Um, okay. So I think I, I think I understood this category. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> no, no. I I feel like I have three that kind of like fit a thing, and the set last two I feel like oh, this is all be good. Yeah. All right. That's yeah. all good. All right. Well, the, f- the first one I feel like is the layup, the electoral college. I don't I don't oh, get it. That's a good one. I, yeah. uh, I was a be science five. major. That would number, be number five. five. First up at <laughs> five. Sorry. Number five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I read about it. Makes no fucking sense. I still don't understand it. It doesn't make. You're voting for people who are going to vote for a thing, but they have to vote for them. Why? We, the whole thing. Yeah, I really don't understand it. That's I a good. Really, I perfect.
3: Don't yeah. Yeah. yeah, perfect.
4: Uh, number four, uh, commodities tra- trading. Uh, yeah even even with <laughs> even with okay. Ralph Bellamy's explanation in trading places I I still I still don't understand they're buying orange juice pork bellies I don't I don't get it it doesn't make yeah. any sense who's buying what and they're yelling the whole thing I, 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 the whole thing is I, I don't get it what is this who's who's making money uh, and I could probably fold the stock market in there too like there but I, I think I could fake my yes. way through an explanation of um, <laughs> barely right. Number, th- number three daylight savings time, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I don't, I don't, everyone says that's something to do with farmers, yeah, and you know, I don't understand it. I've tried to think about it. And I don't I don't like get it. Yeah, why did, like why? Why do you like you just yeah. go like
5: five is now six as of yeah. today? Why? Yeah. why? Why the Senate why? voted against
4: to t- you know, t- t- like, to remove it so. yeah. You know, when you when you change your clock forward, there's like the increase in heart attacks and all this yeah. stuff that happens Circadian beginning. rhythms. Yeah. Well,
3: but there was there was a little clue to that, um, maybe uh twenty years ago when W was president and they moved the uh, the one that was in October where you fall back. Right. Mm-hmm. They moved it into early November. And they did it at the time because they wanted to make candy companies more money on Halloween by giving them an extra hour of daylight (laughs) for trick-or-treating. Like, this was a real story. Wow, This really happened. So that, to me, was more of a clue of what it's about. Like, I think at some point it's sort of quaint and nice to say, oh, it's the farmers and they're milking the cows. But I really think it probably is tied in more to, like, big corporations and how can they make the most money. Right. Right. Anyway. That makes
4: sense. That's probably true. Yeah. So the last two are things that, as a kid, I thought, as an adult... I would change my attitude about, and didn't happen. So number two, poetry. (laughs) That's a good one. I really thought I'd at some point appreciate poetry, and I don't, I don't, I don't. I hear people talking with such, like, oh, my God, I'm so moved. I can't. I can't. Uh, my son. My son reads poetry and like gets it. I'm like, I. I, I
5: it's I, very easy writing, especially if you don't rhyme. It's like, <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, I know. You've got <laughs> to rhyme.
3: Rhyme. <laughs> you need the rhyme. That's the hard part. I know. So you they'll, didn't they'll do, do anything. Um, You're just Nantucket. Like a, the, right. you, you need the man from Nantucket. At least
5: that's good. You know, like, right. that's something. The so wintry number, wisp in the willow
2: <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Sure. And,
4: and the number one thing which has made me an outsider my whole life and which I thought I would at some point understand, professional sports. Oh, I no. I I don't yeah. get it. I hear you guys talking about Tom Brady. I'm like, what the fuck? You <laughs> care so much. Everybody cares so much <laughs> for these people, yeah. these bullies in uniform. And I'm like, yeah, there it is. There is. That, that explains it. That's why you don't like it. <laughs> but you know, it's so interesting. My son is completely into sports too. Like he's completely which I so I feel like I fixed something from right. my life. But I really yes. I can't I've tried. I really have tried to get into right. and I I can watch a game but i i yeah. don't, i don't That's understand great, the passion. Yeah. That's yeah, a, great so. that is great a great list. Great list. Thank you. Yeah.
3: Um all right, i'll i'll jump in and and plow through mine. Number right. 5 and and this is something i i understand what it is, but i don't know that anyone gets it or anyone can satisfyingly explain what it is to me in a, in a real way, which is déjà vu. Oh. Like mm-hmm. i've i've had it since i was a kid. You get this weird feeling as a kid, and it almost makes you panic. Like, how the fuck right. am I feeling like I've done exactly this before? Yeah. And, and then people, you know, the best, honestly, the best explanation was in The Matrix. They're like, oh, it's a glitch in The Matrix when you have deja vu. And so now that's what I think every time I have it. I'm like, oh, glitch in The Matrix. Like, let a movie explain it to me. Anyway, don't get deja vu. Number four, pain. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I under I understand oh, that it's my brain right. that oh, is is deep. making me feel pain. It's there right. are signals apparently being mm-hmm. sent from my afflicted area to my brain. But I also know that there's a way to shut off those signals. Right. Yeah. So what the fuck is pain real or oh am I making God. it? That's I don't really I don't get deep. that. <laughs> Anyway, number three, and this, again, like you did, David, I could fold this into a much larger category, Mm. but number three, and you might be able to explain this to me. If anyone can, it would be you. Number three (laughs) is uh, black holes. Right. Like you, they always, it's a trope. I hate the word trope. It's a thing that, you know, they, everybody talks about, oh, there's a black hole out there and we don't know what's on the other side. It's like, does anyone, I get that they're there. But I don't understand.
4: There's a confusing impl- thing. There's a confusing thing yeah. about them because there's a scientific black hole and then there's the popular culture black hole. And the public culture yes, black like hole the, confuses the whole thing. It's like a tunnel and right. you go other place. No, it's not. No, you just yeah. get crushed in a, you black, just get hole. Crushed in a black hole. Your mass becomes it's infinite a, in you. That's right. right. Yeah. But how, a,
3: do, how do we know that?
4: well it's only recently that they've even observed it. It was always something that was theoretical that idea that when a, a certain kind of sun died that it, that all the matter in it would uh, compact uh, back to such a small area that it was the the gravity was so intense that not even light could escape the gravity oh my so God. so that's wow. the that's that's the sort of brief scientific explanation of a, it's a Love dead that. sun, yeah. but, but then Star Trek, Star Wars, whoever, uh, have s- yeah. made it, well, maybe it's a tunnel to another universe. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a right, tunnel me, he crashed.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, even, even though it's impossible to do, you've shed light on a black hole, so thank you. <laughs> um, number two, and we're just going to get simple and silly here, wrapping a towel around my waist can't do it never been able to do it It never works right i don't know what i'm doing Uh, wrong but it's like i'll wrap it around and then 20 seconds later it's around my ankle so i can't do that and number one rack and pinion (laughs) no idea what what that is me neither rack and pinion what is it
4: Rack and pinion steering. It's like something, something
3: to do with steering, brakes, driving. I don't know, but they always used to say it in car commercials with rack and pinion steering. <laughs> don't know. As <laughs> well, so opposed to know. rack or pinion
2: steering. R- <laughs> right. Yeah, they, it's need, got them they were both
3: together. <laughs> yeah. they, were, they needed them together. So I didn't understand that as a kid. Don't get it now. Yeah. All right. That's my list, and All I right, stand by it. JC, what oh, do you got?
0: Okay. Um, this one might be controversial, but the term scientific fact. How do we know? Ooh. I feel like it's scientific observation only mm. to be proven wrong later. So to be <laughs> calling it scientific fact feels extremely audacious to me. That's my
3: number All five. Right. Love <laughs> that. That's a okay. strong one to come yeah. out of the gate. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Just a
5: shot at science. I know. And yeah, I did I study.
0: Yes. Anyway, so uh, that was number five. Number four betting odds over under. What does that mean? Like, I don't oh, like, get <laughs> it. An to to I'm like, I don't get it. I don't want to be, like, I want to get it, but I also don't want to get it. Um, okay. So number three, the stock market, I pretend to know a little yeah. bit. I had some there luck with it in the past. Um, but I still don't truly understand it. Number two, the internet. How does it work? I don't understand how. <laughs> how? Just, just like a huge thing of how, just like the universe. And then number one is traffic. Why? Yeah. How is there still traffic? How haven't we yes. solved this? <laughs> is, yeah. It's 2022.
3: Oh, <laughs>
4: yeah. No, that's very good. Yeah. I
3: know. I, uh, traffic, I agree with. It's like it, It's it boggles your mind when you... Like the traffic lighting the should be dynamic, right? right? Yes. Right. And it yes, doesn't seem to be right.
0: It should be programmed. Well, dynamic.
3: To, yeah. That's a Kilborn word. He loves that.
4: There's uh, a um, there's a cartoon. I remember. I probably New Yorkers said. Uh, you're it's, cars in traffic, and there's a street sign that says, uh, uh, "Traffic clears up ahead for no reason." <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> for no reason. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all
5: right, Goldie, what do you got? All right. Uh, I kind of. Poked at it a bit last week. Number five is money laundering.
2: Nice. <laughs> yes. Don't yes. get how
5: putting money into something makes it clean or anything other than the money you put into it. I,
1: it's the
5: same I, fucking money.
4: I have to say it was Breaking Bad that made me understand what money laundering was. Oh. Watched it, still don't
5: understand. <laughs> Alec, Alec needs to watch it next. Uh, number four is the word be lies. <laughs> I don't understand, does it make, it makes a lie of it or it turns it into a lie? I I can't use it correctly. Every time I hear it, I pretend I know what they meant. I don't know what the word be lies is. I've read the definition a hundred times. I still don't get it. Uh, Number three, World War I. Oh, yeah. I don't know what they were doing. I don't know why they were doing it. Why it started. There was no Hitler, but everyone hated Germany still. Why? Made no sense. Number two is electricity. It's like I click a thing on my wall and then there's some signal from a power plant (laughs) way to like there's invisible shit going everywhere. Like that is weird. But if I touch it, I die. (laughs) I don't Yeah. I don't I'll never understand it. And number one, this this may shock you because it's been explained to me and I I still I can never navigate it. Poker. No. I don't understand what calling is. I don't understand when you get to raise. I don't understand when it's my turn. What I'm supposed to do? I don't know what the off wow. is.
4: Wow, I,
3: I just a, don't get, get it. That. I don't get it. Uh, I think oh this God, is the, never. Go ahead. Go ahead, JC. I think this think? is
0: the first time none of us had like. Overlapped.
4: overlapped no overlap well yeah. stock market and commodities trading i feel oh, like okay yeah. right right good yeah, point, point, point. Yes. good
3: <laughs> but but goldie goldie never was that more evident than when you and i were at that seth charity poker event <laughs> yeah. and, you, and goldie the whole night was being so funny he was giving me so much shit for folding because i understand poker so like i would i would keep folding and goldie's like giving me so much shit and then finally i got
5: yeah,
2: that's
3: right, oh, Gary name. Goldman. That's right. Fi- finally, I get dealt pocket aces, and I knocked Goldie out. It was so satisfying. It was such a great but I did play. I did
5: uh, win a bluff against the guy who had won the previous year because I was acting so crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I think he just didn't know what to make of me because I legitimately didn't right. care. You know, yeah, but I still yeah, don't you're, you're understand. Really, like every time it was my turn, you would have to explain to me. No, you got to do it. like what is calling? <laughs> I don't get it. We'll we'll we'll
3: we'll go to we'll go, when we go to Vegas for our Family Guy trip. We'll play poker, okay? And we'll we'll talk our way through it a little bit. All right, okay. that was a very fun top five. That was list. really fun, guys. Yeah, it was yeah, fun. and now oh, now because right. I, I go- David, I know. Should I tell next week's?
0: Next week? Top five? Oh, yes.
3: Sorry, JC. It's it's your, Uh, yeah, JC, go ahead.
0: I kind of, I had a difficult time figuring this out, but I'm going to go with this. Top five SNL musical performances.
3: Oh, I love that. Love cool. that. That's a good one. Right, Thank you. Of course. Uh, so many are leaping to mind. That's great. Okay. That'll be awesome. Get Goldie's very very Get ready for quiet. everything pre-2003. I <laughs> say. <Same. Yeah, laughs> of course. In of course. All right. Um, all right. That's a great category. We look forward to that next week. All right. Well, let's move on to the portion of the show that we call High Note. <laughs> There's your Tom Gamble. You guys Always say a great. little longer than... <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, no, David. It's the opposite. Um, all right, David, go ahead. Give us your high note.
4: Oh, I appreciate you including me in on this. I, yeah. uh, well, thank mm. you for having me. I really, I'm a huge fan of the show. So, but, uh, well, thank you that's for not, But that's not my high note. Uh, <laughs> oh. but, uh, last weekend, I was in New York. And uh, I was visiting both my children, who are grown. They live, they work there. Uh, As you sense from me, I could have caused them a lot of damage, (laughs) and it seems like I didn't. It seems like their mother, their mother, went out. They're both like really healthy. Uh, They have jobs they that they really like. They're financially independent. They're also charming, delightful people who don't mind hanging around with me. And uh, that's. That's my high note. They have their problems That's like everybody Oh, That's
0: beautiful. That's Thanks.
3: so nice. And it's yeah. so you amazing. It. Beca- I know It's <laughs> amazing because when, when we worked at uh, Family Guy, they were little kids. They were tiny yeah. little kids. And now Full they're on all, adults all out now. and doing yeah. great. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, my high note is, is pretty simple. Goldie will probably appreciate this. This is a 33rd episode. It's the Larry Bird Episode. Congratulations. So, uh, to yeah, us. I'm, prou- I'm proud of us for not just conking out <laughs> at like seven <laughs> when it would have been really easy to do that. I know. And so now that we're at 33, we obviously have to make it to 50. And once we get to 50, we probably have to make it to 100. So I'm proud oh. that we made it to 33, the Larry Bird episode. So Yay. good for us. Way to go, us.
0: <laughs>
5: yes. You want to um, go, Goldie?
0: You want me to go? I'll go. Okay.
5: So my kid turned six. And the last two birthdays had been very solemn, lonely affairs with a cake and a hope that next year would be better. And then next year was better. And we had friends, we had people swimming in the pool. Someone dropped awesome. pasta salad in the hot tub. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Someone
5: spilled something sticky on my dog. So he's oh, now no. just all matted and sticky, but it was just great to be able to celebrate her and in the proper oh. fashion. That's and just beautiful. to that know we were awesome. spreading
3: COVID is a total <laughs> work. <laughs> happy sixth, Molly! Happy sixth! That's six. awesome.
0: I that's a really nice high note, Goldie. Uh, my high note, I one of our best friends for twenty plus years is visiting us for a week. He's um, an amazing drummer. He plays uh, in a band with Stu. His name's Joe Tamino, and we are like family. And it was just like I saw him when they pulled in from the airport yesterday and I almost burst into tears because, you know, you don't really get to see, you know, your best friends over this past time during the pandemic. So it's been amazing. He's only been here. He just got here last night. So it's just like a. Very nice yeah. high note to have him here.
3: Check in again on day four and we'll yeah. see how you feel. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs>
0: uh, next week I'll be like,
5: is there uh, a stain on my
3: favorite towel? <laughs>
5: <laughs> Goldie. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Tamino, <laughs> Not
3: in my house, Joe Tamino. <laughs> I love that we've said his name so many times. All right, well, you know what? Another fun episode. Yeah. Thanks yeah. again David Goodman yeah, for being David. a great guest. Yep. We Thank knew you. you'd be a great guest. You were a great guest. Oh, You've been a great thanks you did great so stuff for, for a family guy and you did great stuff for Hollywood. So oh, we appreciate yeah. you. Thank you so Thank much you. for being here. Thank you. Yeah, for yes. real. It was yeah. an honor. Well, that was, it was mine. Thank you for being, <laughs> there you go, that's what I wait, wanted
4: wait. to say Moving on
2: <laughs> There he is You just told You yourself. know, I
4: fucking should have said it, oh, damn it. <laughs> If I was that's funny great. If I was funny, I would have said that uh. <laughs>
3: And thank you two for being awesome thank And thank you all for listening And we will talk to you next week That's real power.